Well, good morning, my family. How are you? Good, 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 good. That's excellent. We need all the time that we have together to go through the passage that is so rich for us today. So would you grab your Bibles and grab your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part seven of our fully known series. That's through line by line through the book of Galatians. So if you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter five. Verse 1, you can kind of follow along. But I want to begin just by giving you the fill in the blank right off the bat, and then I want to talk just briefly about it, and then we'll dive into the passage. The fill in the blank in front of you is this Our war within is flesh versus spirit. Our war within is flesh versus spirit. Now, if you're new to this whole thing, it begs the question what is flesh and what is spirit, yeah? So let's talk about that. Christianity is not anti-body. Christianity is not anti-humanness. There are many religions in the world, especially ancient religions, that, that believe that all this stuff is garbage. There is an outside spirit, and that's all good and perfect, but anything on earth is yucky, and anything that deals with a body is worse. Christianity doesn't believe that. Christianity believes that we are holistic beings, all bound up together, that our minds, our wills, our emotions, our spirit, our soul, our flesh, all of that is interwoven and all of it is being redeemed. What happens in your body affects what happens in your soul. If one is neglected, it will ricochet off to the other and it will begin to cause havoc on the system. So Christianity is not anti this stuff on us. And if you've ever got into that mindset, which is like, who cares what I do with my body? Everything's about the spirit. You are moving away from Christianity. See, we must be integrated and work with an integrated system. Everything you do, for example, have you ever heard of the, the spiritual discipline of fasting, right? That's a tough one, yeah? But I remember one time I was struggling in an area of self-control, in something that was in my heart and in my mind. I couldn't seem to get a grip on it. So I decided to fast dessert. That wasn't even the issue. There was something in my mind and my heart, and yet I did something physical. Why? Because what I was trying to do was train my body to say no. Because if I could say no in one area, it would allow me to say no in another area. And if there was one thing I could control, it might allow me to gain access to control another area that I was having slippage in. It's all integrated. So Christianity is very much about holistic redemption. So flesh is not that. Flesh is the unredeemed part of us. It's the, the part of us that Jesus obviously died for and, and set us free from, but we can't seem to shake the habits that we've been putting in for so long. We can't seem to walk out our new identity, so we keep doing stuff that is contrary to what Jesus and the Holy Spirit built within us. That's called the flesh. 
Every time I say flesh in this passage, I just want you to think selfishness. It just makes a lot more sense. So whatever part of you is still focused on you, whatever part of you that is still selfish, that is your flesh. And I was trying last night as I laid in bed to make up the word selfishness. But it sounded as stupid in my head as it just did coming out. So let's go ahead and drop that one. All right, here we go. The spirit, however, if you're going to battle flesh versus spirit, what is spirit? Well, there's two. One of them is the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. That is a person of God. That is the most active member of the Godhead engaging with the church right now. Do you know him? The second part of that is our spirit which is the part of us that is designed to connect with God. It's the part by which if he's going to flow through us, he tends to flow through that channel. It's the part that he awakens when we get reborn or saved or become a Christian, whatever you want to call it. So the God part of us is battling with the selfish part of us, and that's the point. So let's jump right into the passage. If you are brand new with us, Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest evangelists of all time and church planners, he wrote a letter to his church that was really being sucked back into religious systems. And he said, guys, we can't do that. Jesus Christ died for a reason. So we need to cling and allow him to save us his way. And that's going to be by his grace alone. We cling to him, we hang on to him, but we're never going to earn our way to heaven. We're never going to earn our way into a relationship with him. We simply cannot. Therefore, it's all him or nothing. Y'all remember that? All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, if you haven't already. I'm just going to read the first verse and we'll begin. It says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Okay, let me say that again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So if Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, what do you think that means? Nicely done. (laughs) Christ has set us free, so we are not having a, I can't get out of this problem. We're having, I keep bringing it back in problem. You don't understand what I'm saying. So the freedom that he set us free for was so we would live light and easy. So the majority of drama that's in our life, we have created. We just keep jamming stuff in. Every time the Holy Spirit takes out the garbage, we go and bring it back in the back door. But if Jesus paid it all, if he said it is finished, if he did all that was required, what's our job? Stand there and hold the territory. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't cave. Don't compromise. Don't allow all that stuff you got saved from to creep back into your life. That's the point. So stand there. You would think that seems easy, but obviously it's not. We're all wrestling with it, right? Stand firm, therefore, and do not, if we have been set free by grace, do not submit again to a heavy religious system where you're going to try to earn your way to heaven. That's just not going to fly. 
He said, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Y'all know what a yoke is, right? Not the egg thingy, the other one, the uh, on the animal thing, right? One commentary said it this way. He said, a yoke is what you place upon the neck of an animal to do something they wouldn't do if they were free. In other words, when you put the yoke on the oxen, you want them to plow. That's not what they want to do today. The oxen would rather play video games. (laughs) Although it is harder with hooves. But what he doesn't want to do is plow. What he doesn't want to do is work the field. And so you have this yoke on them and it forces their head to do the things that you want them to do. That's religion. Religion places it on the neck of someone. It forces them to do something they wouldn't do if they were free. What Jesus wanted to do was another way. What if I set you free and I want your heart to want to do what I want you to do? What if it wasn't about me pressuring you and forcing you? What if you did it because that was your longing? What if you did it because of love and you didn't do it because of fear? What if you did it because you wanted to please your father, not because you're afraid you're going to lose your salvation? Y'all know what I'm talking about. So he said, if we have that kind of yoke from Jesus, which is what? Easy and light. That word easy actually means gracious and kind. If we have something with Jesus that helps steer us in love for the right reasons, why in the world would we want to go back to a heavy legalistic system? That's Paul's point. Now, a couple other things on this real quick. What did freedom, what freedom did Jesus buy and for whom? Right? It is football season, yeah? All right? That's why you're at the early service. No, not really. It is football season. That means one thing at least. That means some guy has to bring the sign John 3.16, right? (laughs) So we all know that verse for God so loved the world, all right? So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was NIV and King James mushed together. It's just how I memorized it. God so loved the world that he did something, that he gave his son. What did he buy the world? What kind of freedom did he buy the world? Let me ask you this quick question. Is the whole world saved? No. So what did he buy them? Here's my suggestion to you. He bought them an option. See, before there was a savior, there was religion and they weren't playing that. So they were always going to lose. It wasn't until Jesus demonstrated this extraordinary love of God that suddenly they realized they could be loved and all of a sudden they had a choice and an option to go and lean into God because he was wooing them and calling them. So I think that's what he bought the world. But what he bought his kids is way different. When we lean into Jesus Christ and we say that you take over control, I need you to be my savior. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. I need your spirit. You understand what I'm saying? When we do that, what did Jesus buy us? He gave us the right to become sons and daughters of God. That's what the Bible says. And it says that we are. It also bought us no more death. Do you all know that you're not going to die? Now, you're going to transition, and we're a little nervous about the transition. Yeah? I don't know. I've never done it before. Maybe you have. So, 
It's a crazy transition, but you're not going to die. Die means shut down, shut off, taken away from God. That's never going to happen to a child of God. We will transition from away from God to closer to God. We will transition and transfer from one existence with Jesus Christ to a better existence with Jesus Christ. That is the promise for the children of God. So we've been set free from the fear of death because that doesn't apply to us anymore. We've been set free from having to sin. You don't have to sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will give you the power. It says with every temptation, the Lord will give you a way out. So you don't have to sin. We're all choosing to sin. But you don't have to. It, you're not under that bondage anymore. So we're set free to be children of God. We are set free from ever dying. We are set free from sin. And what else? We're set free from guilt and condemnation and the law. And it goes on and on and on, right? And it's not just a past freedom. The Holy Spirit is even in us, setting us free every day from habits and patterns that are unhealthy and dysfunction. I want to put maybe a new thought in your head. It should seem obvious. However, it is not. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more free you should become. All right. Now, this should give a pause to those of us that have been in the Lord for multiple decades. If you've been in the Lord for 50 years, you better be walking on water. You all know what I'm saying? Why? Because you've had the Holy Spirit constantly churning out freedom in your life. And it's funny, like we have some type of mental ceiling where we're like, well, that's about as good as I'm ever going to get. Why? Why can't the Holy Spirit constantly go, there's more freedom, there's more freedom, there's more lightness, there's more ease, there's more walking with the Lord, there's more alignment, there's more, right? I mean, that, that some of us who have been in the Lord for so long, there should be such extraordinary freedom. We shouldn't be heavier than we were, what, 30 years ago. Should be different. It doesn't mean that your life is easy, it means your heart is easy. Big difference, all right? So what does grace do that law can't? Because you either have the legalistic way or the way of codes and religion, rules and regulations, or you have, I trust in Jesus to do all the heavy lifting for me and he's got to rescue me, so I'm going to lean into him. What can grace do that law cannot? Three things, real quick. Law or religion is self-focused. Grace is God-focused. How do we know that? Because who gets the credit when, it, when it's done right? Okay, so for example, if you are in religion, religion means you have to do certain things to make your good deeds better than your bad deeds. Okay, so if, if that goes well, who gets the credit? You. If you're good at religion, it's all about you. But if it's grace and it goes well, who gets the credit? God. All right, so automatically we go, okay, that's, that's why we need to lean into one versus the other. Okay, second thing. The law depends on overcoming sin by sheer willpower, but grace allows the Holy Spirit to root it out. Okay, let me just ask you from a counseling perspective, what sounds healthier, shoving all your sin down or getting it out? Okay, getting it out, right, because if you shove it down, it's still there, and it's going to come out somewhere. You can't just keep packing stuff down in your heart and assume like that's not going to break out. You know why there's so much heavy rebellion 
in religious systems is too much stuffing. Well, I shove it down, I shove it down, I shove it down. Then finally you're ticked off at something and you go, I don't like this system anymore. And you completely rebel and ping to the other side. If there is a massive rebellion in your life, I can suggest to you that it's because of religious elements. Grace doesn't trigger heavy rebellion. It doesn't make sense. But regulations do. Because you're tired of stuffing it. Yeah? All right. Last one. The legalist, the law follower, the religious one grows bitter when they fail. Whereas the one following in grace just has to lean on Jesus more. All right. He goes on in verse two. Take a look at this. He says, look, meaning I'm going to be practical here. I, Paul, say to you guys that if you accept circumcision, that's the way to become a Jewish convert. If you accept circumcision as a religious demand in order to have a relationship with God, if you accept circumcision that you have to become a Jewish convert in order to go to heaven, if you accept circumcision that way, then Christ will be of no advantage to you because he saves in a totally different way. I testify again. To every man who accepts circumcision as a means of getting to heaven, as a means of justification, if you do that, you are obligated to keep the whole law. It's not a buffet, it's a unit. So either you do it all or you don't do it. Because you don't get to pick and choose. Man, I, 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 I totally agree with that whole stealing thing, but the whole lying thing, ah, it's iffy. You're not allowed to do that. You break one code, you broke the whole thing. Law is a package deal. Either you're going to do religion and be perfect or you're not. That's your only choice. He said, if you do it that way, verse four, you are severed. You are cut off from Christ because that's not the person he came to save. You remember Jesus came and there was a bunch of Pharisees hanging out with a bunch of sinners. And he said, I came to call the sick not the healthy. I came to call the ones that needed me. So if you don't think you need me, if you think you're good with your religion, then I guess I'm not your savior. I'll move on to the next town. Hmm. You are severed and cut off from Christ. You who want to be justified and made right by religious law. You've fallen away from grace. You walk completely away from it. Okay. So let me, let me give it to you this way. Let's say... You're in a minefield. Y'all know what a minefield is, right? It's, it's, it's kind of an old school way of doing things, but they would basically plant bombs underneath the dirt and then they would cover it up so you have no idea where they're at. That's called a minefield. So let's say you're in the middle of a massive 50 acre minefield and you got to get out. There's two ways to get out. Either you can do it yourself with a map and a blindfold or you can allow someone to guide you out that knows that's Jesus. Okay. That's religion versus grace. How are you going to get out of the minefield? Because I'll tell you this, if you do it yourself, you don't even know what you're doing. So you might as well just blindfold yourself, not even be able to look at the map and then try to hope you get out. You're not going to get out. You're going to step on something, click, boom, you're done. Or you can say, hey, I need help. And you allow the tour guide, Jesus, to go, I know exactly where the bombs are. Don't step there. Don't step there. Don't step there. Follow me. And he walks you out. 
So which way do you want to do it? So he keeps laying down this argument over and over and over, y'all. Religious systems is not what we want. It's not what we want. We need Jesus. We need his grace. Amen? All right. And he says this. Verse 5. For through the Holy Spirit, by faith... Now, y'all remember that faith isn't just believing facts. It's trusting someone with your life. That's faith. So if you keep going, yeah, 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 I believe that stuff in Christianity. That's not sufficient. Unless you're living it, you're not trusting it. So that's how you know if, it, if you really have faith or not. If you keep saying, I agree with it, we have not yet walked in faith. Not only do you have to agree with it, you actually have to live it out because either it's legit or it's not legit. You got to trust it and live as if it's so. For through the Holy Spirit by faith or trust, we ourselves as Christians, we eagerly wait confidently for the hope of righteousness. That time when the heavenly father is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Come on in, you guys. We're completely all together as a family. I can't wait for you to be with me. Let's go and have adventure. We're waiting for that day. Yeah, that's the good day. Because in Christ Jesus, his way of saving, neither religious circumcision or uncircumcision, that counts for anything. Nobody cares. But only faith, belief and trust, working, acting out through love in a practical and heartfelt care and concern for God and other people. All right. The X factor in all of this is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live. I ask you again, do you know him? Because too often we keep falling into the trap of I know the father, I'm familiar and love the son, and then there's the other guy, right? But if he is our primary member of the Godhead we're engaging with, wouldn't it make sense that you know him, engage with him, talk with him, pray to him, lean into him, get his guidance, right? Wouldn't that make sense? Okay, so that's why we as a church said, you know what? What we want as our identity is to be scripture-soaked and spirit-led. Why? Because that's how God's working with us today. Scripture-soaked, anchored in the word of God, allowing the Father to talk to us through the Son, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to walk us through it. I mean, that's what we need. All right. He says to the Galatians, verse 7, Man, you guys were doing awesome. You were running the race of life and faith super well. So who cut you off? Who hindered you? Who hijacked you from obeying the truth? I'll tell you, that distraction, that persuasion, that temptation, that is not from him who calls you. That is not from God. I'll tell you that. That's from something messed up. And verse 9, I'll warn you, a little yeast, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. You let in a little bit of sin, a little bit of compromise, a little bit of bad guys, and it's going to spread all over the place. And now we have a serious problem. However, because of how great God is, verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than what I'm telling you right now. And that the false teacher, the one who's troubling you, he will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He said, man, I'm so confident that God knows how to solve this. You are going to come back in line with grace. And the bad guy is going to have to answer to God. He said, let me clear up one other thing. Verse 11. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision as the false teachers keep trying to manipulate you, 
by telling you, oh, Paul still does it. Oh, yeah, Paul, you know, deep down, Paul really believes what we believe. If I still preach that you have to become a Jew first to be honorable to God, why am I still being persecuted? If I really teach that, why are they giving me so much heat and harassment? Clearly, I don't teach that. They don't even like me. If I really did that in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What's the offense of the cross? That his love brought grace freely. That's an offense to religious people and control freaks. Why? There's no way that could happen. Who's going to pay for it? Jesus. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. Well, I don't believe you. All right. Well, that's why it's offensive. You bring Christianity into any religious context and it's going to irritate somebody. There's not all these foundations that you have to follow. There's not all this. If you go up these steps, you're eventually going to get there. There's not all this. There's a secret mystery that you need to know. There's not all this. Man, once you become awesome and super morally pure, then God may take a look at you. That's all religious. So you walk in and you go, no, no, no. I was a loser. Jesus loved me so much that he came and scooped me up in my yuckiness and said, I want to clean you up. Okay, that's offensive in a religious setting because everyone's going to respond back and go, well, that's dumb because if you did that, then who cares what you do? And then everybody's going to go ballistic and they can do whatever they want. But not if it's all in a love scenario. Hmm. All right, let's keep moving on. Verse 16, but I say in contrast to all this garbage. Oh, I skipped 13. As a matter of fact, I skipped 12. And it's kind of a funny line. He said, I'm so frustrated. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Here's what he just said. He said, man, those guys are so focused on your foreskin. Right? Constantly going, you circumcised, you circumcised, you circumcised. Okay, dude, leave it alone. All right, you're so you're circumcised. You know what? How about you just go ahead and cut yours all off? That's actually what he said. What was his point? His point was, I wish they would cut themselves off and go away. And I wish that they would make it so they can't create any more offspring of bondage. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How could I have missed that line? <laughs> Verse 13. I love that the Lord puts in pieces into scripture for immature people like me. Because it just allows you to keep engaged. You know what I'm talking about? All right. So all of you adults, I get it. It's embarrassing. Verse 13. For you who are saved by Christ, you are called to freedom, brothers. However, you can't use your freedom, your grace standing in Christ, your new identity as a child, as an opportunity to be more selfish. You can't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. But what I need you to do is not be selfish at all. I need you through love to serve one another. I need you to be about other people. I need you to be about God. It can't be about you. For the whole law, everything that God wants is really summed up in Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But man, you guys, if you keep biting and devouring one another like wild animals, you better watch out because you're going to destroy each other. All the tensions in the church were causing everyone to bite at each other. I don't know if you've ever been in a church split, but it's horrific. 
I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen your children absolutely angry and violently attack each other. But it's terrible. I just need you to understand that when God looks down and he sees how Satan can create dissension and, and division and all that stuff and then everybody comes at each other, it breaks God's heart. He said, we just, y- y'all, we can't be doing that. That's not how it works. Don't let Satan win like that. But I say, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Make decisions by the Holy Spirit. Follow His direction. Allow Him to use His power. I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You're not going to be selfish if you're all about God. For the desires of the flesh, your appetites, your cravings inside for selfishness are against the Holy Spirit and the desires of the Holy Spirit are against the flesh. Completely different goals. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit and His guidance, you've switched routes and you're no longer under the law. He said, now, what am I talking about when I start getting into all this selfishness? What does selfishness lead to? It leads to bad outcomes. He'll call them works. It means that if you are keep being selfish, it's going to lead to ugly areas. It's going to cause you to do something that is against your nature, against your identity. And you say, well, what do you mean? What, like, what kind of stuff? He said, all right, let me give you a sample list. He said, what I'm talking about, it's, and it's pretty obvious, what I'm talking about is sexual immorality. Anything sexually that's not allowed by God, it's a super broad term and it kind of covers everything outside of marriage. So he said, if you're all about you, you're going to want to feed you and then you're going to just do whatever you want to do. And it's going to lead to sexual immorality. It's going to lead to uncleanness, impurity, meaning uh, ritually, ceremonially, ethically. You're going to do impure things. It's going to lead to sensuality. Sensuality in Greek means you don't even care what anybody thinks anymore. You're going to flaunt it. You're going to be all about it. You're going to be hardcore. He said it can lead to that. It's going to lead to idolatry. Putting other things before God, other things before him in your priority list, and you're going to move him off the throne in your life. And man, if you're, if you're selfish, it may lead you into sorcery. Now, sorcery was a big deal then. And in some cultures, it still is. But what's intriguing about the word sorcery is back in their day, it was lumped in with something else. The word in Greek is pharmakeia. What does that sound like? Pharmacy. It's drugs. So it's not drugs like we think of drugs. It's drugs that were used by false religions and black magic arts where they would poison people and they would alter your state and they would do all this kind of weird, creepy witchcraft worship thing through drug use. He's lumping that in there. He said, and if you keep being selfish, you can, it can lead to enmity, which means you're just a person that argues with everyone. That's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. It can lead to strife where all you do is just keep fighting to be right. It can lead to jealousy where you just want what everybody else has. 
It can lead to fits of anger. If you're all about you, you may just blow up on people because they violated and made your life harder. And so you're constantly blowing up in outbursts of anger. That's not from the Lord. It can lead to rivalries where you just want control over everybody else so you can manipulate the situation. It can lead to dissensions where you just separate yourself from everybody else because you're right and they're all wrong. It can lead to divisions and cliques and factions. It can even lead to envy. Let me pause on that. That word in Greek is crazy. Pretty convicting. Here's what envy means in Greek. It means I don't want what you have. I just hate you so much. I don't want you to have it. So I'm going to steal your stuff and throw it in the trash. That's craziness, right? It's where you just hate that other people have anything good going on in their life. Have you ever scrolled down through Facebook and went, oh, you think your baby's cute? I'll leave it there. He said selfishness can lead to drunkenness where you're just going to excess and you're doing stupid things. It can lead to orgies, which is out of control partying and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who make their whole lives oriented, that that's their identity, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. They're building a totally different kingdom. But we can't just be against something. We have to be for something. We can't just spend all our time removing things out of our lives. We've got to fill things in. I mean, imagine you had a glass of water that had a whole bunch of dirt in it. You can spend all your time trying to pull the dirt out or run fresh water in it and force the bad stuff out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because unfortunately, in many church situations, maybe even my teaching historically, and if I've done this, I'm in the wrong, but historically, most church situations spend more time talking about what you shouldn't do than filling in what you should do that forces out the bad stuff. And that's actually not the healthiest way to do it. So Paul doesn't leave it at what you need to get out. He talks about what needs to be inside. And that's where we get this famous passage, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... Now, real quick, fruit is created and its condition is dependent on the root, right? So if the trunk of the tree and the health of the tree and the roots of the tree, then it's just going to produce fruit. Fruit is not a struggle. This list is not a to-do. This is what is the natural outpouring if you really have the Holy Spirit in your life. He has room to move and he has access and control to call the shots. If you truly have that, these things will naturally be produced in you. They're not a strain. So what does the Holy Spirit create? He makes you a loving person. If you're not loving... We have a root problem. We have a Holy Spirit problem. You don't need to try harder to love. You need to get more into Jesus. You need to submit more to the Holy Spirit. You need to be renewed more. You need to know your identity more. You need to, you understand what I'm saying? Loving means God kind of love, unconquerable love. Love that says, I want the best for you even when you're a jerk to me. That's the kind of love we're talking about. We, that's what Holy Spirit produces. If you don't have that, we have a Holy Spirit issue. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's also joy, settled happiness because God is good. 
And so you just go, man, you know what? My whole circumstances are terrible. You know what? Everything about my life is just kind of garbage. But here's the reality. The reality is I have my Jesus. I'm good. That's the joy. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace is serenity because God's in charge. What do you got to worry about? If it's not freaking heaven out, why is it freaking you out? Because isn't the same guy running heaven, running earth? So who cares? Oh, but what if this happens? What if that happens? Is anything possibly going to happen right now that God's going to be like, oh my goodness. No. <laughs> was it Pastor Parnell that went, oh myself? That was awesome. <laughs> right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Patience in Greek means conquering endurance for irritating people. And it's primarily used of God. That's how he is with us. In other words, we constantly irritate and he's like, I'm with you. I hang in there with you. I got tons of patience for you. Isn't that cool? We got to be like that. Next word. This is kind of funny. And this actually violates a lot of what I've taught in the past. So I feel embarrassed. Uh, the next word, the Holy Spirit produces kindness. You know what it means? It means being nice. I always say, you know what? The Bible doesn't say you have to be nice. It really says, okay, yeah, it does. It means sweetness and non-irritating. So it's soothing. If the Holy Spirit's in you, you don't agitate. You soothe. You're a peacemaker. You calm. Th- anyway, it says the Holy Spirit creates goodness. That is God-like qualities no matter what it takes. Are you God-like? The Holy Spirit produces something our culture does not have very much. And that's faithfulness, reliability, committed, dependable. Yeah? Gentleness. Moses was gentle and meek. Jesus was gentle and meek. What does it mean? Power under control. You got intense passion. You just know how to harness it, right? And self-control, self-mastery. You're calling the shots in your life. You're not always overwhelmed by what your body wants to do. That's what self-control is. He said, that's how the Holy Spirit wants to make you. Against such things, there is no law. None of that can be legally enforced, right? If you don't have more joy, you go to jail. You know, nobody's going to say that. That's dumb. Verse 24, let's close it out. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, who are saved, forgiven, and born again, y'all, we have crucified the flesh. Baptism says we died with Christ, we rose with Christ, because on the cross, he took away all that stuff and nailed it to the cross. So in other words, in the past, he cleaned us up. He crucified, we crucified the flesh, the sin nature with its passions and desires. So if we live by the spirit and he made us alive, let's keep in step with the spirit. Don't run ahead of him. Don't lag behind. And certainly we can't become conceited. You can't brag and be pretentious. There's nothing to brag about. You can't provoke one another and agitate each other. You can't envy one another. You can't be hurting each other. Stop it. Live like your identity. Who are you? Christianity is not sin management. Let me spend my whole time trying to manage all that's wicked in me. Okay, that is not a way to live. I'm going to spend every day trying not to do something. What a drag. That is not correct. How about we 
turn that around. How about we live for the right things? So let me, let me finish with this story. Flesh versus spirit, there's a battle. We all want to make decisions. It could be as simple as, I don't know, needing to help somebody, but you're busy. Flesh versus spirit. It could be something dramatic. Like, you know, I really want to have an affair. I don't know what to do. My heart says I got to do that. But I don't know what it's going to do to my family. I mean, there's flesh versus spirit all the time. You know, I I get asked periodically to counsel people. And I, I don't do any private counseling anymore except with leaders. So, but historically, and even with leaders today, people come to me and they'll say, pastor, I've done this. Usually my response is, of course you did. If I was in your shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. You're not going to surprise me by your sin. And actually I'd rather not talk about the symptom. Can we get to the root? So let me, let me talk about what I'd rather share with you. Who are you? What are we doing? Because we could sit there and keep talking about all the weird stuff on the outside. But who are you? What do you want? If, if you are a person that says, man, what I really want deep down is to live in regret. I really want to live in a place where I always have to look over my shoulder. I really want to look in a place where I feel that there's bitterness and I don't feel proud of myself and everything. All right, then you got to make some bad decisions if that's really who you are. Go ahead, have the affair. But if you keep telling me that you're a child of God and that when you're in church, you're all fired up going, man, I want to be stronger. I want to be more in with the Lord. I want to be able to pray whenever I want to pray. I want to be able to live light. I want to be able to laugh easy. I want to be able to go to sleep and put my head on the pillow and go, yeah, that was a solid day and I can't wait for tomorrow. I want to be able to have this internal peace to where no matter what happens on the outside, I'm not wrecked on the inside. I mean, I want all of that. Okay, if you're telling me that's who you want to be, then we got to make different decisions. I'm not going to get all dramatic with you about the drama in your life. I'm just going to keep asking you, who, do, who are you? Are you a child of God? And, and what do you want? Do you want to barely get into heaven? And it's only by the grace of God. And he's constantly frustrated because he's giving you all this freedom. And all you do is make bad decisions. I don't think that's what you want. So let's start acting accordingly. What do we want? Do we want to please our father? Do we want to make him smile? Do we want to respond to his love and kindness for rescuing us? Do we want to be able to say, not only can I live today free, but man, I got all kinds of energy for tomorrow. What life do you want? Okay, then we got to do certain things that give us that existence. Because a lot of it comes down to our choices. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? As I've mentioned time and time again, in the service, when you hear the message, the Holy Spirit is touching your heart and he's bringing up stuff. What that means is you shift into the next part of the service. Prayer team, they're anointed, they're covered, they're ready to be with you. They came here today in the hopes that they could minister to you. 
So whatever the Holy Spirit just brought up, that he's going, hey, you got to leave that here. Or you know what? You need to be renewed here and you don't need to do it yourself. If we always leave church and everything's up in our heads, not a lot changes. Sometimes we just need somebody else to pray for us. You may be coming up and saying, I don't need their advice. The Holy Spirit already gave me enough advice. I just need them to pray over me. Or you may be coming up and it has nothing to do with identity. It has nothing to do with sin. You're just hurting. Please let the body minister to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your way is always right and good. And I just pray, Lord, that you would be honored in this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have room to move, not just in this room and across the campus, but in our lives. So whatever you have stirred up in our hearts, would you finish the job and root it out? The word says that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We believe, Lord, that you have set us free so that we would remain free. I know, Lord, that the bondage of our life is neither pleasing to you nor enjoyable for you. And so, Lord, you know it hurts us, so you want it out. God, would you set many free today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.